city like I already own it Standing on top cause I earned this moment I took what was mine, now I won't let go of it Cause I'm a hustler, yeah I'm a hustler Cause I'm a hustler, yeah I'm a hustler I Hello again, everybody. This is Gary Roth of Blue Collar Consulting Group, Soldier in the Army, host of the Blue Collar Consulting Group podcast. We are coming back for part two of managing yourself. Again, if you did not hear the last episode, you may want to take a few minutes and check it out so that you can kind of catch up. We are working from some material here of Peter Drucker, who is known as like the father of modern management, a super innovative guy, a visionary. Uh, and the, he wrote a very large article talking about managing yourself, and it was included in Managing Yourself, one of HBR's 10 Must Reads. It was like a collection of articles, and so I read through that, made some notes, and that's what we're moving on to. I'm trying to keep these episodes, I don't know, down to like 20 minutes or less. That way they're a little bit more consumable, and yeah, we're going to get right into it. So how do I perform? Um, you know, Believe it or not, very few people know how they get things done. Indeed, most of us don't even know that different people work and perform differently. There's a lot of people that think we're a bunch of machines. Just pull a lever and go, pull a lever and go. Too many people work in ways that are not their ways, and that almost guarantees non-performance. I mean, you've, you've heard and seen that many times. For knowledge workers, how do I perform? Maybe an even important question then, what are my strengths? And we spoke last time about strengths and putting yourself in a good position to succeed. Uh, like one's strengths, how one performs is really unique. You know people that thrive in certain environments. You know people that suffer in certain environments. And so knowing that is going to be able to give you the tools to hopefully position yourself uh, adequately for maximum performance. Uh, it's a matter of personality. It's completely unique. Whether personality be a matter of nature or nurture, we'll never fully know. It surely is formed long before the person goes to work. And how a person performs is a given. Just as what a person is good at or not uh, is a given. I mean, a person's way of performing can be slightly modified, but it's unlikely to be completely changed, much like personality, and certainly not easily. Just as people achieve results by doing what they are good at, they also achieve results by working in ways that they best perform. And I'd like for you to start thinking about what are some different ways that people work. A few common personality traits usually determine how a person performs. The first thing to know is whether or not you're a reader or a listener. Uh, far too few people even know that there are readers and listeners and that people are rarely both. Uh, even fewer know which of the two they actually are. Uh, but, but some examples will show, you know, how damaging this ignorance can be. And that's not to me insulting. I'm just saying if you don't know what you're doing, here's how damaging it can be. When uh, Dwight Eisenhower was supreme commander of the Allied forces in Europe, he was the darling of the press. His press conferences were famous for their style. Uh, General Eisenhower showed total command of whatever question he was asked, and he was able to describe a situation and explain a policy in two or three beautifully polished and elegant sentences. It was really quite something. Ten years later, the same journalists who had been his admirers held President Eisenhower in open contempt. 
He never addressed the questions they complained, but rambled on endlessly about something else. And they constantly ridiculed him for butchering the king's English in incoherent and ungrammatical answers. Eisenhower apparently did not know that he was a reader, not a listener. When he was supreme commander in Europe, his aides made sure that every question from the press was presented in writing at least half an hour before a press was uh, press conference was set to begin. And then Eisenhower was in total command. When he became president, he succeeded two listeners, Roosevelt and Truman. Both men knew themselves to be listeners and both enjoyed free-for-all uh, press conferences. Eisenhower may have felt that he had to do what his two predecessors had done. Since that had been laid out before him, he probably didn't think to change it up. As a result, he never even heard the questions that the journalists asked. And Eisenhower is not even an extreme case of a non-listener. If you go back and look at some of those things, you'll see where he really had trouble. A few years later, Lyndon Johnson destroyed his presidency in large measure by not knowing that he was a listener. His predecessor, John Kennedy, was a reader who had assembled a brilliant group of writers as his assistants, making sure they wrote to him before discussing their memos in person. Johnson kept these people on his staff, and they kept writing. He never, apparently, understood one word of what they wrote. Yet, as a senator, Johnson had been superb, for parliamentarians have to be, above all, good listeners. Few listeners can be made or can make themselves into competent readers and vice versa. The listener who tries to be a reader, therefore, will suffer the fate of Lyndon Johnson, whereas the reader who tries to be a listener will suffer the fate of Dwight Eisenhower. They will not perform or achieve. Two great examples from history prove that. Here's another question you should ask. How do I learn? The second thing to know about how one performs is to know how one learns. Many first-class writers... Winston Churchill is but one example, do very poorly in school. Again, Gary Vanderchuk, very poor uh, traditional student, excellent entrepreneur. Maybe you know somebody like that. They tend to remember their schooling as pure torture, yet very few of their classmates remember it the same way. They may not have enjoyed the school very much, but the worst they suffered was, I don't know, boredom. The explanation is that writers do not, as a rule, learn by listening and reading. They learn by writing. Because schools do not allow them to learn this way, they get poor grades. And I think we've seen that throughout history. Schools are not adapting to their students. They're forcing students to adapt to the school. Schools everywhere are organized on the assumption that there is only one right way to learn and that it is the same way for everybody. Have you seen this before? Do you have children that are being forced to learn something the same way as everyone else? But to be forced to learn the way a school teaches is sheer hell for students who learn differently. Just think about somebody with a learning disability. Indeed, there are probably half a dozen, maybe more, different ways to learn. There are people like Churchill who learn by writing. Some people learn by taking copious notes. Beethoven, for example, left behind an enormous number of sketchbooks, yet he said he never actually looked at them when he composed Asked why he kept them, he reported to have, it is reported that he said, if I don't write it down immediately, I forget it right away. Now, Gary here, he likes to journal and write things down because guess what? If he doesn't, he will certainly forget it as well. 
Do you learn this way? Here's another very critical question. Do I produce results as a decision maker or as an advisor? Gary Vaynerchuk speaks about that frequently. Some of the great leaders uh, talk about maybe you're not a number one. Maybe you'd be a great number three in a company or number 12. Maybe you'd be better on a board than at uh, head of the board. A great many people perform best as advisors but can't really take the burden and pressure of making the decision. A good many other people, by contrast, need an advisor to force themselves to think. Then they can make decisions and you know, act on them with speed, self-confidence, and courage, or also known as decisiveness. This is a reason, by the way, that the number two persons in an organization often fails when promoted to the number one position. The top spot requires a decision maker. You, as an entrepreneur, are going to be required to be a decision maker. Everything that happens or doesn't happen in that company is your fault. Strong decision makers often put somebody they trust into the number two spot as their advisor. And in that position, that person is outstanding. But in the number one spot, number one position, that same person fails. He or she knows what the decision should be but cannot accept the responsibility of actually doing it. In battle, you may have a leader that's hesitant knowing that there's imminent loss of life and yet if they stay, they will lose even more life. And so sometimes people get stuck in that decision paradox or that analysis paralysis. Here's another important question. Do you perform well under stress or do you need like a highly structured and predictable environment? I know some soldiers that do amazing things in combat, not so good in the office. Do you, I work best? Do you work best in a big organization or a small one? Big fish, small pond, small pond, big fish. Or big pond, small fish, excuse me. Few people work well in every single type of environment. If you are telling me that you work well in every single kind of environment, I'm going to highly doubt that. Have some humility. Look deep inside yourself so that you know exactly where you do best. Again and again, I've seen people who were successful in big companies and then just do absolutely terrible when they did the small ones. And of course, the reverse is equally true. The conclusion bears repeating. Don't try to change yourself. You are unlikely to succeed. But work hard to improve the way you perform. And try not to take on work that you cannot perform or that you'll only perform poorly. Again, folks, it comes right down to self-awareness. Self-awareness is absolutely crucial to every single thing that you're going to do. You're going to have to know who you are and what you do best. If you don't know what that is, that's okay. You don't have to be in a rush to figure that out, but you should be very, very intentional. You should be figuring that out now. You should be trying to figure that out. You should be looking internally and, you know, really diving into who you are as a person. In the last episode, we talk about, uh, we spoke about uh, self-reflection. Uh, I forget the exact term I used. I wrote it down, but it's like basically it's keeping a journal. And it's, it's writing down what you had hoped to achieve, writing down what you did achieve. In the Army, we call that AAR, after action review. And they're very important. And they seem tedious and monotonous and they just get... Blech. You know, like I know, I know it stinks. But if you hang on to those things, you can gain valuable insight about your life. 
And if you're not looking at your life, then you're you're not looking to succeed. If you're not looking at your failures and your successes, then you're you're probably gonna you're probably gonna fail. Life isn't about being good at everything. Life is about being great at what you're good at and then compensating for your losses through hiring or at least maybe just a little bit of training to kind of shore it up so there's not a drastic liability. But you can do things without being great at everything. And in fact, your life will be better. Just imagine that one thing that you love to do. And just imagine if you did that all the time. Like that's what real passion is. That's why professional athletes are really good at that one sport. You know, they might be pretty good at a couple sports or two, but you're not going to see an athlete... You know, Michael Jordan isn't going to open up an accounting firm. Um, You know, Babe Ruth, you know, didn't run a company. And so people know what they're good at. And if you know what you're good at and you apply discipline and focus and effort on that thing, then you're going to go very, very far. So I'd like for you to think about that. Think about how you perform. Think about how you learn. Think about what kind of role you want to play in a company and then accept that and then Knowing that, you can honor yourself because not everybody belongs at the top. Not everybody belongs in the CEO's chair because the worst thing you can do is get in that chair and fail miserably. Then you won't have a number two spot anywhere. So you have to always think about the risk-reward structure. If you know that you're a decision maker, if you know for a fact you can make those tough decisions and live with the results, then by all means, seek that position. If you don't feel comfortable making decisions, if you're not decisive, if you're hesitant, then be the devil's advocate on the board. Just accept it because the inverse is much worse. If you get there and fail, and you fail miserably, then you're going to mess up things for a long time. Listen, I'm going to wrap this one up because this is a good stopping point. Think, think, think about yourself. Think about what you think about. All right? Do everything you can to self-analyze, keep a journal. Please tell somebody you love them today. I would love to connect with you on Twitter. Uh, My username there is blue underscore leadership. I put out leadership quotes and tactics and things like that throughout the day. I'm on Instagram at blue collar consulting. A lot of motivational images there um, with some motivation and some perspective and stuff like that. It's a good thing to, to populate your feed with. And then finally, you can connect with me on LinkedIn or if you need to shoot me an email, gary at bluecollarconsultinggroup.com. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll pick this up here in a day or two and we'll just keep on going. So thanks again. Talk to you soon. Get